Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Incomparable, number 600, February 2022. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. You know what? Uh, 600 episodes ago, we were here. <laughs> and you know who was here? The oh, same oh people God. who are oh here right Whoa. now. No, no, no. I'd like to introduce you to the guests of The Incomparable, episode one, who are here for The Incomparable, oh. episode 600. Glenn Fleischman oh. is here. <laughs> this is some terrible dream. Oh, no. What did you do to us? Scott Hello. McNulty is here. I've never left. <laughs> and Dan Morin is here. I'm feeling great about this 2010s decade ahead of us, Jason. I don't see what could go wrong. <laughs> so, so The Incomparable was founded in the year 2010. It is episode oh 600. We have done so many anniversary episodes and year-end episodes that I decided for our 600th episode we were going to do something that was not that. So we're doing a, a a draft of a sort, but really like some of our other reading list episodes that we've done. This is a book club episode, like episode one was. We're going to talk about and, and construct a reading list for you of some of our favorite sci-fi and fantasy books from the decade of the 2010s. And I have defined it because... I don't want to hear from you pedants out there as 2010 to 2019. If it's got a two, if it's, if the year starts with 201 followed by a digit, that's what we're picking from. 2020 is part of the 2020s. I don't want to hear it. So with that in mind, we are going to go around draft style and we are going to choose books that we recommend that are some of our favorites that you should check out from the decade gone by. Hat tip to the people at National Public Radio who built a an enormous list of books from the decade gone by. Uh, we are going to do some of the same books and some of the books are different and that's fine. Also, a little tidbit, even though all of us are here from episode one of The Incomparable. Mm. At the end of our portion of the first round, we will be joined by some other people who will also Ooh, be choosing books. Ooh, That's right. Newcomers. In a magic, yes, newcomers, people who were not from the year 2010, but instead more like 2012, uh, mm. to uh, pick more books and assemble it into a giant Voltron-like, is that how Voltron works? Whole. Sure. He's, yeah, yeah, Voltron's made a bunch of books. Of books. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. right. He's a library. He's a library. <laughs> you, you stack books into the shape of a robot and it becomes a robot. Oh. <gasps> or not. That's what or I dreamed when I was a child. A Zeppelin. Bookbot. So uh, it is time for <laughs> the novels. Short list, draft, oh, reading uh, list, uh, episode uh. 600. And it begins with a book as chosen by Scott McNulty. Ooh, I did Ooh. not realize that I was supposed to prepare for this. No, I joke. I didn't realize <laughs> that. Uh, this we're recreating the first episode of the incomparable, so I feel compelled now as my first pick to pick the dream of perpetual motion, a book ooh, ooh. we talked about on the oh first episode. I of still the haven't. I still haven't read it, Scott. <laughs> well, you've 
You're, you're probably never going to, Dan. Just That's let probably it go. true. <laughs> like a Zeppelin. Uh, by Dexter Palmer. It is uh, a perfect kind of Scott book that it's probably overly complicated and uh, more writerly than it should be, but uh, and it features uh, a Zeppelin and a mm-hmm, green card writer uh, who is writing his memoirs because he's trapped on the Zeppelin. It's true. It's fantastic. There's a coal mound sex scene, which was also oh, the title yeah. of episode number 27, where we That's went right. in detail about the dream of perpetual motion. See, we've there, talked about there's, it twice. Mm-hmm. There's hand typesetting in that book. It, mm-hmm. Oh, yes, there is. <laughs> so you, you should read it, is what I'm saying. Look, we've two episodes of The Incomparable. Glenn and I and Jason have talked about it twice. Now three times. Thrice. Three times. Thrice. It, it's it, a it love, is it's uh, a lovely book. It is a very weird book. Scott. Yeah, yeah, it's deeply <laughs> it is strange, but really good. It's, I like weird books. It, it's full of stuff that tickles your brain because it's so peculiar and you don't know how to take it. And he presents some things really baldly and boldly. And you're like, what the hell? Yeah. But like things I don't think I ever could have thought of in any universe by myself and hadn't read anywhere else. I think it's a great achievement. And I think it works together. It hangs yeah. together as a plot and uh, some good mystery in it. And too. are there Zeppelins? There. Yes. Uh, yes. yes. We'll always was, have Zeppelins. See, Scott, I was thinking of this book recently. <laughs> Dexter Palmer, is Dexter Palmer a showrunner now? Because I was thinking of this book recently because uh, a lot of writers that we like have become showrunners because that's where they can make money instead of writing novels. And uh, I was watching, uh, it's not a spoiler, season one of Discovery and one of the characters said something. I said, that sounds almost like a quote from The Dream of Perpetual Motion. Interesting. Well, he is uh, he is not in he's not sold his soul yet to TV as far as I can tell, but he has published two novels since The Dream of Perpetual Motion. I feel like he was writing for some TV show, but I don't know if that's that funny if he wrote for that episode, but could, probably not. Could be. All right, well, The Dream of Perpetual Motion straight from episode 1 and episode 27 now here in episode mm-hmm. 600 on our list of Amazing. books that you, from the 2010s you should check out. The next book will be from Dan Oh, good. Well, this is a draft, so gamesmanship always a question. Ooh, ooh. Uh-huh. That's true. Uh huh. And I, mm-hmm. so there, there are books that I might have liked more, but I'm going with books that are going to maybe get picked by other people. Uh-huh. Uh And hmm. I'm going to pick a book that we discussed on episode. Yeah, I'm doing citations. Whoa, now. Uh, Whoa. episode. Jesus. You've raised the bar, and I'm not going to meet it. <laughs> you just did, though. Wait, <laughs> you hit your head with the bar. Uh, episode 128. Bureaucracy is her superpower. The Rook. The Rook. By Daniel O'Malley. Oh, uh, sure. What a great book. What yeah. a great book. It's a. It's a little bit fantastic. It's uh, got like some. I mean, it's not science fiction. I guess it's, it's kind fantasy of, set in the modern day. Yeah, it's kind of X-Men-like in some ways, I want to say. It's like yeah, superhero-ish, but spies. Yeah, yeah, but spies. And and like there's this whole organization that's very secretive, and mm-hmm. there are people in it that have very specific mm. powers, which I always enjoy when powers are not things that are just like really generic, but they have these very specific, very weird powers. Um, and there's intrigue. There's a character, our protagonist, who has lost their memory and is trying to reassemble what happened to them and how they lost their memory uh and their name is looks like gibberish when you look at it but it's pronounced miffany <laughs> yes uh it's welsh. It's welsh. there was by uh, all uh, mm. accounts a not very good tv show that was made out of it this was movie. not a good oh, tv show bad. i did not see it i never watched it i wanted to because i love this book so much but everybody who liked the book and watched the show was like the show is not good so and, i did not watch the and show. he's he, the author is an american who moved to australia and works doing pr for a branch of the australian government i want to say yeah something like that and there is and, a and there is a follow-up stiletto yeah um which is good but different yeah um and would have to be but uh yeah i i enjoyed it it's quite so good. a bit 
it is one of my standout books. Uh, like as I looked back over books I read in the 2010s, that one jumped to mind immediately as, yeah, that was a really good book. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. No, that's a great book. And we talked about it before. So now we've talked about it twice. <laughs> perhaps thrice, but perhaps not. I don't, I don't have the catalog in front of me. I love it. Um, Glenn, it's your choice. Uh, well, I'm going to pick a book that apparently has been talked about before as well. <gasps> and uh, I'm going to the far end of the time continuum that we are in. Very far, uh, which is appropriate for this book. This is How You Lose the Time War. Yeah. Which has oh. got to be one of my favorite books of all time. And I just, I think I'm going to make a almost a goal of rereading it every time I've forgotten it enough that rereading it is a fresh pleasure, which I think is three times so far. Um, it just, it's, it's so beautiful on the palate of the mind, right? Like as I read it, I just want to like soak it in and have it like absorbed into my skin. Again, themes from the book, I guess, really, but it's true. Uh, discussed on episodes of The Incredible 488 yep. as a full episode and 525 in a roundup episode. Um, but, you know, when I think of people ask me, they're like, what should I read in the last 10 years? Or what, what should I read that's uh, science fiction or fantasy of the last X years? And uh, this is one that always comes to the top. For me, I'm like immediately go and buy this. It's a thin volume. It's incredibly good. You'll want to reread it immediately, and um, and it's you know it's just I know it's great in every way. That's it, my feeling. Beautifully written, uh, just and it's and it's um, Amal El Motar mm. and Max Gladstone, right? Who wrote yeah, it together? That's right. And it, and they are they are trying to like it's almost like one up some shit. Like it's very short. It's a slim volume, I think they would call it, but um, but just kind of poetic and lyrical, beautiful language. And then, yeah, it is also super dense, weird science fiction on top of that, which is my kind of thing. I love it. It's just, it's just great. And I think uh, someone said I mentioned it in passing, and they said, "Wait, it's science fiction." I'm like, "Yeah, but I mean, it is science fiction, but it is is full of all the fantasy tropes too." So they do this great thing where it's where you're like, all the mechanisms are hidden. So the way it feels is almost like a good fable. I love it. Yep, absolutely. Okay, it's my choice now. And yes, I'm going to go before our other guests are introduced because of the linear nature of time and space, people, okay? <laughs> time travel. It's a mm. theme. Uh, but we're, we're, uh, I love that we got episode one together here and then we're going to bring in our new people <laughs> and then we'll come back to us and it's going to be this whole two timeline kind of thing. I... Uh, I have a, you know, I'm so happy that we do this podcast because it has gotten me to read way more books than I would have otherwise. And I know we don't do, this isn't a book podcast. So in, in the last few years, it's been mostly books that are on short lists for the Hugo and Nebula Awards, not entirely, but mostly, but like it really has not only increased my reading, but diversified my reading. And I've discovered a lot of authors that I really love. And in looking back and doing the thing that we probably all did, where you look at your Goodreads and you sort of by star rating and you sort of by year and you figure out what your favorites of the decade were. And there was one that popped out that I was like, oh, well, that's my favorite book of the decade. Ooh. And it's, among mm -hmm. others, by Joe oh, Walton. sure. From 2011, uh, which we discussed in episode 96. <laughs> See? And and in several <laughs> other episodes. Um, I, I love, among others... Um, Joe Walter, it is a, let me see how, how I can describe this to people who, ha, who don't know about it. It is a fantasy novel about science fiction mm -hmm. in that the main character is, uh, uh, also, also Welsh, I think. Um, or is she English, but in she's, she's no, she's Welsh in 
England in an English yeah. boarding school. And so she's she is a uh, an othered kind of person. She's a little bit different. Also, her mother is magic and she may be magic. But what she does is because she's a social uh, pariah in the school, she flees into her love of books <laughs> in the school library and in the city library. And it is her love of classic science fiction novels. So you get Joe Walton, who is a wonderful writer and writes about other people's books at tour.com. Like she's a really great uh, a student of the genre. And in this book, she, she gets to write this fantasy story that is simultaneously a love song to classic science fiction and how it can have an impact on the, on the readers who are isolated in small towns and faraway places. And it can really change their lives. And that's, that's a, uh, it's a pretty good trick, pretty good magic trick for her to pull that off. But I just, I love the book so much. It's a, it's a, it, it, it just that mixture of, um, a fantasy novel that's directly straight up a fantasy novel, but also a love story about science fiction. It's great. Yeah, it pulls that neat trick of um, not being quite like anything you'd read before. A lot of the books that we're picking are books that are not like almost anything yeah. you'd read before. Uh, really kind of ethereal, but well-rooted, and the characters are really well-drawn, and it feels very grounded at times. And like, whoa, there's lots of magic. Whoa, what's going on? Now it comes to me to introduce the remaining portion of this draft, people who are not they're Johnny Come Lately's, really. They were not on episode one. They were on a later episode. They've also been here forever, but we're not on episode one. I'm going to introduce them in the order w- in which they will pick after me, because I am an inconsiderate host and logistics, <laughs> is chosen by random.org. Um, they bring the random to you. That's their theme song. Aline Sims will pick next. Hi, Aline. Oh. Yes. <gasps> Excitement. Are you not going to get sniped <laughs> on some of these? Man. <laughs> You're picking fifth, but but not sixth or seventh. So. Yeah. 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 It's a win. It's a win. She's going before me. Yep. That's. <laughs> yep. You're the one I'm worried about. You're the one I'm worried about, Erica. Well, Erica Ensign, you're picking after Aline. Okay. Well, I mean. You know what? I hope I get sniped because the good books that Aline picks, I can just love on them and then pick another book. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's right. That's the positive way to view uh, drafting. Mm-hmm. And David J. Lore is also here and will uh, pick last. This is this is very exciting for my very first episode of The Incomparable. Thank you for inviting me. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Weird. Johnny uh, come very lately? It's, everything, it's a time paradox. Everything I, you know. is a little odd, but not that odd. Uh, <laughs> all right. So we've already had four picks in the first round. Aline, it's your choice. What do you have for us? Okay. I think I've got to pick The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. Um, anything by Becky Chambers is amazing. Um but I love The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet as, especially for people who kind of want to get into sci-fi and fantasy spaces because she is so good at writing characters um, and worlds. I, so many authors are good at one or the other. They're good at world building and their characters are good enough that you can kind of go along with it. Or their characters are great and the world building is good enough. But Becky Chambers does both so very well. And the thing that I really like about The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet is it is not... 
one one of the things about <laughs> science fiction and fantasy is that you start a book and you think this is this is this is great. I'm going to read this book. No. No, you're not going to read this book. You're in for a trilogy or 17 books, right? Like, but <laughs> The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet is an anthology. So you can't, it, it's like, a, it's, a, it's a TV series. Mm-hmm. You can pick it up. You can read a chapter. You can put it down for a little while and come back to it and read another chapter. And you can kind of forget what happens, right? It's all loosely connected. There's a through line, but it's not a movie. It's, it's a series. And so it is so good for something that you can just dip in and out of as you want. And and in this arena, that is so rare. It's one of my gripes. This is my favorite, favorite genre. I love science fiction. But when you get in it, you're either in it for the long haul or you're abandoning something, you know. And so I love... I love The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet for that reason. And a lot of people deride the book because of that. But that's one of the reasons I like it so much. Well, it's it's part of a Good series, pick. but it's not a series that you can you have to read in an order because it's all in the same universe. Yeah. But and characters cross over. But it really, it, you know, you don't have to go on or you could read another book instead and it is very episodic uh, uh, it, saying that it's like a, 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 TV, a season of a tv series is is i think the best way to describe it to people and it's delightful and it's kind of like um um the the series the wafer series rather than being like a series like a television series it's more like in the universe so it's kind of like i don't like star wars is at this point you know you can watch the mandalorian you can watch the book of boba fett you don't have to watch both of them right uh, you know so it's it's nice in that way too but yeah read everything becky chambers writes mm-hmm. but um the long way to a small angry planet is a, is a really good starting place erica what's your choice it is a really good starting place, the the long way to a small angry planet. And I am going to say that like I had my top two and I wasn't sure which I was gonna pick first, and I decided it's going to be a closed in common orbit by <laughs> Becky Chambers, which is the next book that she put out in the Wayfarer series after that. I loved the first one for all the reasons that that Aline said, but to me, uh it's sort of more coherent novel type novel is sort of more my happy place. So it was it, it's fun to read that first book and get like the little snippets of of you know like vignettes, lots of little things happening, but I kind of like the beginning middle end story and I especially like a beginning middle end story where you have a couple of different stories that you're getting told in flashbacks and then eventually they weave together and you discover uh how how everything sort of hangs together and that's exactly how a close in common orbit is structured it does take one character from that first book and in the first book that character is just an AI on a spaceship and then at the end spoilers sorry uh gets dumped into a body and has to figure out how to deal with being in a body instead of being in a big spaceship with lots of cameras both inside and outside and I I love AI stories. I love stories about, you know, is an AI a person? Do they have feelings? How do they feel about non-AIs? And this book has it all, and it all exists in that same 
a wonderful universe that Becky Chambers created for The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. So it just feels like this universe is incredibly built out. And you have that AI character um, who is, you know, trying to figure out their body and and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and then uh, Lovelace. And then there's also this other character named Pepper who has uh, her own sort of strange backstory that you s- slowly learn over the course of the book. But it, it you get this sort of odd couple thing going on because they are <laughs> sort of pushed together because Lovelace has nowhere else to go. Um, and they... It, I think I have noticed in the all the books on my list for this year, like at this time, I need things that are happy, that are hopeful, mm. that bring me joy. I think, you know, if you had asked me about, you know, what are my favorite books, I don't know, four years ago from roughly the same period, there would have been a lot more darkness. And right now I am choosing the books that that make me happy. And this book felt incredibly hopeful because it's a it's a sort of a not a coming of age story, but a, a coming of, I don't know, a self-realization type story mm. where somebody actually learns how to navigate a different world and does it well and finds people that they care about. And just all of that came together really nicely. And this book just made me happy and it made me feel good. And then it made me want to go on and read all of the other things that Becky Chambers wrote. So uh, I'm happy to jump on the Becky Chambers Hmm. uh, bandwagon here and follow up Aline's with the book that literally followed up Aline's. (laughs) I'll just take that off my next pick. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, my my favorite of the four books in this series is the one that was the fourth one, which was published in 2021. Therefore, it's not eligible for this draft. Mm-hmm. However, good news, David. It's, it's record so good. record of a spaceborn few is still available if you want to choose that <laughs> one, or you could go to a different author. It's really up to you. See, I was I was playing by Monty rules, so mm-hmm. I had the whole series as a single pick because I love the series. Nope. Uh, but in a similar it's not a vein, series. <laughs> yeah, but it's a world. It's a universe. Um, they're all they're all connected. Uh, in a similar vein. I'm going to pick a book that is also episodic and it is also, you know, all the stories in it are linked together. Um, it's, it's, well, I, I enjoyed John Scalzi's old man's war books and I read them totally out of order, which is maybe not the way to read them. But the first one I read was the human division, which came out in 2013. And it takes one of the side characters from that and follows him basically over the course of what could be a season of TV episodes. And it follows how, how he's working with the colonial union and they're fighting against the, the conclave of other alien races. And it's, it's just fascinating watching how serialized novels work. I, I enjoyed the green mile when it came out and this was, you know, this started out as, individual episodes you subscribed you you got them that way and then it came out as a book with an extra story and a little a little more connective tissue and uh, that's the one that actually got me to read the rest of the old man's war books i think it's my favorite of them hmm. even even though you know th- there's a there's a whole story before you even get to this book uh, but i i just i really enjoyed it and i'd kind of like to see this as a series 
I uh, that we covered that in episode 147, by the way, for people who are interested. Lots of old episodes <laughs> coming up in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny, David. I started those books with Zoe's Tale, which is the sort of young adult oh, yeah. uh, parallel version of a previous couple of books in it's, that universe. It's like retelling mm-hmm. the last colony, I think. Yeah, it's, it's like it's, the it, same time, but but it's the it, but it's the daughter and and what she sees, yeah. and it was sort of angled as a, as a YA, and it got nominated for something. Or I, I that's why I end up reading, it and I was like, oh, this is really good, and I, I devoured the rest of the series. So it's it's funny. The old man's old man's war is a a really fun book, but it, the whole that yeah. whole series is fun, and and yeah, yeah. episodic novels is a uh, it's a, they're fun, they're fun. We need more, more episodic <laughs> novels. Okay. <sighs> The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. All right, now it's time for round two. And uh, guys, I got some good news. Nobody on the other panel picked any of uh, the books that you were going to pick. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, wow. That's incredible. I know, right? Forget that linear time and space thing. I'm just telling you, I come from the future and it's all going to be Ooh. fine. But let's move Excellent. into the second round now uh, with uh, Scott's next selection. Well, I you you picked a Joe Walton book that is on my list, among others, a beautiful book. Uh, Joe Walton has the distinction of being the only person on my list with two books. Ooh. So I'm going to pick her next book that is on my list, which is My Real Children, which oh. is just a beautiful novel about a woman who is uh, in like a, a an old folk home, uh, seemingly suffering from dementia, but she's not actually suffering from dementia. She has lived two lives in two different timelines and they are colliding and she's trying to figure out what's happening. Uh, and two, her real children visit her, uh, both sets of children visit her. Uh, and we, we, you know, go through this very kind of lovely and and quiet uh, meditation on memory and and reality uh with this woman and it's just a it's a it's a beautiful book yes that's a i like that book a lot and yeah it, it's quiet and it is yeah it's about memory and it's about living your life and in this case you've got that fantasy element which is that she's lived more than one life <laughs> so it's like Literally. how do you tell a story about looking back at your life and mortality and what you leave behind and all of those things and and then what if uh what if but fantasy on top of exactly that. because joe walton writes these things in such a way as you think well this could be 
you know, literary fiction, right? So yes. you're, it's a metaphor, like the, among others, is a perfect example of that too, right? Uh, and she categorically says, no, it is, I am writing a fantasy. Magic, there's magic in Among Others, yeah. period. Uh, and this woman has lived two so, separate lives in two different timelines. Mm-hmm. Literally. <laughs> yep. Good and stuff. I just enjoy that. Very good. Joe Walton, look at that. Just like that, two picks in two rounds. Ooh. Ooh. Dan. Hmm. Do we know how many rounds we're doing, Jason? I'd say <laughs> I'd say four or five. Perfect. Great. Okay. See so much from my I... knowledge of the future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> future Jason will know for sure. Um I am going to do an or- unorthodox pick here, which okay. is to pick Ooh. a book in a series, but not the first book in the series. I know what? this is weird. It's unheard of. <laughs> I have consulted the rules. The rules oh, have right. told me this is okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I will explain my rationale for this. I am picking Caliban's War, the second mm. book ah. in the Expanse oh. series. And my rationale for this okay. is, okay, Leviathan Wakes is a great book. Uh, it is a lot of fun. It is uh, just uh, a, like really a page turner. It gets a little weird with all the, there's like some, some horror-ish elements Zombies, in yeah. there. Yeah, it's a little much, a little much. And so for me, I liked the book, but it was not until Caliban's War, the second book, that I fell in love with the Expanse series. And that is for two main reasons, which are the introductions of two major characters, both uh, Christian Avasarala and Bobby Draper, who both Uh. first appear in Caliban's War and really catapult this series from like... All right, this is kind of a wacky science fiction story that feels very much like a D&D group for obvious reasons. If you know anything about the history of The Expanse, basically it was. Uh, and really turns it into a fully fleshed out sort of um, space political drama, uh, adding a lot of stakes to sort of what is going on in the solar system and all these different factions. Uh, and and Christian Avasarala is possibly one of the best characters in science fiction, I think. Mm. I, I think she is fabulous, just a really interesting, complex, uh, at times difficult ca- character to love, but uh, a character who is always riveting to read. So I, I for me, this book is really the one that, that took me and like I, I could not stop reading this series after this point, and it's just fabulous. And Bobby Draper is also, I mean, what a another fantastic mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that was my big fear when they adapted the expanse was are they going to get it right because if they don't the whole series will swing off on its axis if you're the wrong and then they cast somebody who could do the role and i was like well that's her i mean that's her w- without yeah, her 100 i mean not you know just being obeisant to the written part but like actually fully inhabiting it just uh like the actress who played christina as well i mean incredible yeah great so, great Casting on both parts and great use. You can see, look, the writers, uh, James S.A. Corey, which is two guys, by the way, uh, they were involved deeply in making the TV show of The Expanse. And you can see in many ways that first season and a half of The Expanse TV show is kind of their second crack at Mm -hmm. their first book, knowing what the series is going to be. And of course... Avasarala and Bobby Draper are in it because how could they not be? But the truth is, if you read Leviathan Wakes, they're not in it. So, <laughs> so that's a very clever, Dan, and yeah. I think a good choice. Thank you. Glenn. Fantastic. I am going to pick one of my second all-time recommend, like all-time favorite books, period. Just of all time. Uh, and fortunately, it happened. It came out in 2011, uh, and we talked about it previously on Incomparable Episode 86, <gasps> The Night Circus. 
Oh, got it. Got to take it. It's when people playing the hits. Yeah. yeah, Well, it's just, oh, it's like I come back to it. I'd read it again. Oh, I don't know. I think just before the pandemic. And it's, uh, um, it's exquisite storytelling. It has uh, kind of folding backwards and forwards through time narrative. And some of that is kind of part of the plot. And some of it is the way the story is told, the way she unfolds it. And uh, the characters are all snappy and fresh. And just when you think she has set things up a little clockwork, like, oh, and that's, I guess a good little nod to the book too, the clockwork part, but um, it all kind of changes. And I remember, I think every time I read the book, I may have read it three times so far now too. I get to that point and I've forgotten that it doesn't unfold just the way you would think. And I go, Oh, Oh, geez. Right. Okay. I got to, yeah, not wasn't emotionally ready for that. That's great. So just, I don't know. I think it's a beautiful, I mean, for listeners who don't want to go back to episode 86, I should say yes. it's a great, it's a great story about a circus, a kind of circus. And it sort of travels around a bit. It's got some great elements of like something wicked this way comes. Like there's certainly like flickers of that in the back of your head. Um, but it's kind of a magical circus, but magic is just not enough to describe it. And just, there's all this richness in it. She's all this, imagery and um great sketches of people and time and and uh you know it starts with kind of a contest or a game which is always a good device for a book and it plays out yeah you know, like very unexpectedly yeah i remember liking that one a lot that's aaron that's good. Aaron, really fun, morgan really good yep uh morgan stein morgan's, is it morgan stern, stern. morgan stein stern. morgan stern. stern okay uh berenstein's bears Bar- 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 yeah oh no uh, oh no what have we yes. done it's, I, I think you're thinking of Corey S. A. James. The oh, that's, what? Exactly. No. Oh no, not that universe. Confusing. Oh. Yeah, no, that's yeah. Uh, she just came out with the Starless Sea, which I have not yet. It's on, oh, yeah, sitting, on my, on my, sitting on my sitting on my on my book reader list. Yeah. And I know she came that book. Uh, Night Circus is like one of those successful things that comes out of someone participating in online writing. It was a NaNoWriMo book, in fact. Yeah. That, oh, that, oh, I forgot that. Yeah. All right, I'm going to go with an author that you might not expect to see on a list like this. Mm. But I'm going to tell uh-huh. you, as somebody who's read a lot of his books, Ooh. I think this book is an outlier. I think it is his best book. And you may be surprised. Um, we also covered it in episode 77, <laughs> Women's Liber. Um, it is 112263 by Stephen King. Mm. You know, and you may be like, ah, Stephen King, you know, I know, you know, the stand maybe, or maybe you've not read any of his stuff and you're like, oh, I don't like horror and whatever. 112263 is so good. It's great. It is, it it is, again, I I think a theme of all of this is like, uh, we love it when you can put like all the pieces together and like Stephen King, you know, some of his books are a little more disposable than others. I would argue that he is actually more of a, an, an artist than he gets credit for. He's not always an artist, but he, he, he is, he thinks a lot about what he's doing. He is a craftsman. And 112263 is, yes, it is a story about somebody who goes back in time and tries to prevent the Kennedy assassination, but it's really about uh, a lot of the same themes. It's about loss and about grief and about memory and about trying to change things that you can't change in in some ways. Right. And the tragedy of that, uh, and about um, uh, love that is, you know, love that is uh, forbidden. Um, it's tragic in a lot of ways. Um, it, it is, it, it, he he really did a great job. Like, it is a sad, weird, interesting, um, r- deeply affecting story about uh, this character who is shuttling back and forth between 
the same day <laughs> in the Ooh. in the in the 2010s and uh the the months leading up to the Kennedy assassination in Dallas and I, it's it really stuck with me and I love uh, a lot of other Stephen King stuff especially the stand but 112263 I think is his best work it's really good. I I'm I love the Dark Tower, but I'm not a horror fan, and so I've a lot of Stephen King is not for me. But I think eleven twenty two sixty three does what's really f- great about Stephen King's work, which is a it's just a cracking read. Right, it is a page turner. Yeah. It is long, and it is like very very like there's a lot that happens in it, but it is it does not feel long. Um, and it just does a fabulous job of rendering these characters and taking a fantastical premise and then in some ways making it almost mundane, right? Like mm. the whole, so much of that book takes place with our character who is just like, has to sort of like time travel the slow way, right? With like, oh, well, I guess I just got to live here for a while oh <laughs> and, like, and have a life. <laughs> uh, and like, that's not like necessarily the kind of stuff that you think of as being like a gripping read, but it is. He does great job of creating these characters. Um, another show that I, I I didn't watch the whole adaptation of the TV show, in part because I felt like one of the characters who I thought was a in the books is a really really well drawn female character got kind of smushed into a reduced uh, silhouette of that character in the in the TV show. But um, I I think the book is absolutely fantastic. Uh, I wish somebody would do a, a a book about the thousands and thousands of time travelers, like all crowding Daily pa- uh, Daily Plaza. Like, oh yeah, it's just that's got to be a it's got to be a thing. Just yeah. get, no, I'm trying to get off. The there, there's a classic hole. science fiction novel where somebody goes back to the crucifixion, and it turns out that everybody watching is a time traveler. Oh my god, that's, <laughs> like oh boy, uh, tourists. Uh, all right, we are back around to our uh, second set of panelists. Aline, what do you have for us in round two? I think I'm going to go with The Calculating Stars by Mary Robinette Kowal. Um, nice. We have, uh, several of us have waxed poetic about The Calculating Stars on mm-hmm. uh, several occasions. So it was I'll on my list it, too. So yeah, um, I'll keep it, I'll keep it short, but it's basically, um, what if an asteroid hit Earth in the 1950s? 50s? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was a catastrophic event. Uh, and climate change was happening. Hmm. Um, so um, basically, it's an alternate history of the space program um, where in humanity needs to get off of the planet in a relatively compressed timeline and um, what happens with the space program um, given that. And it is very good. Um, The audiobook is read by the author who is also um, like, she is a professional audiobook narrator. She is excellent. Um, very, very good. So yeah, read read the calculating stars if you have not already. Yeah, I agree completely. It was definitely on my list and I'm glad it got picked because uh it's so good. I love it. Episode four hundred and twenty seven. We've talked about it and its sequel. So again, <laughs> more episodes, more footnotes. Erica, what do you have? 
All right. My next one is yet another one that we've talked about on The Incomparable before. Surprise, surprise. Uh, we talked actually twice. It, it came up on the list sure. when I looked it up. We talked about it in episode 256, Space Bureaucracy, and episode 251, Tea Sandwiches and Mushrooms. It is none other than The Goblin Emperor by Yay. Catherine Addison, who yeah. is uh, the, a pseudonym of uh, author Sarah Monette. Um it I, I just reread it because I wanted to read the uh, the book that that sort of again, not really a series, but there is another book in that world that comes after it. And I just decided, yeah, I, I want to revisit this world before I dive into this newer book. And I'm so glad I did because it was still just so good. I loved it the first time I read it. I loved it every bit as much, mm. if not more, the second time. I am a big sucker for books where you have a fish out of water. Somebody, yep. you know, discovers something about themselves and has to go learn an entirely new society. And this is about a... Uh, uh, a, a goblin um, who, who he's he has his name is Maya and he has mixed elven and goblin heritage mm-hmm. and he's like the, the youngest son of the emperor who suddenly dies along with all of the older sons so suddenly surprise child yeah who has been you know n- n- not so much child I think he's like 18 at the, at the time but has been uh, basically just sent to live in a tiny little backwater yeah. and has exiled uh, essentially yep. mm-hmm. yeah totally exiled and now has to come to court and be the emperor and learn the ins and outs of the society and not everybody is happy that he is there and some people are really really not happy that he's there and it just has this uh it's it's told from his perspective but not like in a first person and that's kind of my my favorite i love seeing the way that the world works from through the eyes of of an outsider and uh, again this book made me made me happy made me feel hopeful for for the future for the future of this character for the future of the world that this character is now inhabiting uh the future of this this kingdom that the that Maya is is now in charge of and it just it it left me with just such a good feeling. I was like, okay, this one's definitely going up to the top of my list for when I have to talk about books I loved from this time. So yeah, if you uh, if you haven't already read it and you like that kind of thing, The Goblin Emperor. You know, I know this is going to sound weird. Um, like I know what is coming in the rest of the draft, but if this whole draft had gone through and nobody had picked The Goblin Emperor. And I had then realized it afterward, I would have felt really bad. So I'm relieved that we, we didn't get through round two without the Goblin Emperor being chosen because mm-hmm. uh, I, I love it. And there is there is a sequel that is not really a sequel uh, that is like a murder mystery. And it's great, too. But yeah. All right. <laughs> David, what's your next choice? Well, this one, it uh, it is part of a world that has a short story that started. This is a novella that came out um, in when was it? 2019, I want to say, and a novel, a full-length novel has just come out, but I really enjoyed this. Was the first, this was the first one I read. Uh, the Haunting of Tramcar 015 yeah. by P. J. Lee Clark. Yeah. Um, it's it's a different Cairo in 1912 mm-hmm. with uh, an investigator for the Ministry of Alchemy, Enchantments, and Supernatural Entities. And they've come across a possessed tram car. And there's, you know, uh, yes, there's suffragettes, but there's secret societies. There are sentient automatons. Yes. And, you know, it's just, it's it's one of the best 
it's not even steampunk, but it's just one of the best magical, supernatural, uh, historical mysteries I've read in years. And, you know, as soon as the novel came out, it's like, oh, well, I'm reading yeah. that. The main character of The Haunting of Tramcar um, 015 is sort of his uh, his Poirot uh, in the sense yes. that he's sort of got two protagonists. He's got, he's got a, I mean, again, it's not quite like Agatha Christie, but like there is the older <laughs> gentleman and then there is the kind of fiery young woman who's on the force and is going to shake things up. Um, and she's the protagonist of the novel and of the first short story. I just yes. read that novel, um, and it's a lot of fun too. The, this is a great series. I love the setting of it. It is, yeah. It's the idea is it's the early 20th century, but all the power dynamics have shifted because Egypt has tapped into magical powers. Yeah, yeah. There's there's also a uh, a short story mm-hmm. that came out in issue 42 of the Uncanny Magazine. Uh, that's also I think in this this world, Ooh. and I think it it's called If the Martians Have Magic, and I think it's my favorite of all of the uh, the stories in this particular setting. Nice. nice. Somebody ought to put that in Goodreads so people know about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's great. That that whole series is great. A Master of Jin is the name of the uh, the the novel. I liked it. A lot. I haven't talked about it anywhere yet. I didn't know it was going to come up here, but yeah, I liked it. It was really good. We'll, we'll get to it because it's worth I'll, it. It'll it's going to yeah. be nominated for something. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Okay. Back around to the top and the episode one panel is here for round three. Scott McNulty, what do you have for us? I'm the, I'm the top of the top. Top. I've You're always, the tops. I've, I've always said that about myself. You're the face uh, on the Mo- Mona Lisa. <laughs> Not <I> smiling. Am... <laughs> mm. Enigmatic. Yes. Uh, one of my favorite authors is Ian McDonald, and I feel like he, and this is just totally my own opinion, I have no inside knowledge of his career, but I feel like he spent his early career writing these highly regarded science fiction novels. Yes. Uh, and he then thought, how come no one's giving me lots of money <laughs> uh-huh. to uh, you know, make these into TV shows or movies? Uh, I see all these other jerks who are not writing as well as I am cashing in WTF. So why don't I write some young adult fiction? And so he did. And it, you know, he's a good writer, so it was fine. But it, nobody was very excited about it. Uh, and then he thought, well, okay, that's not working. Maybe I should, people seem to like this Game of Thrones thing. Maybe I should write something like that. Uh, and he did. And when you say it like that, you think, well, it's not going to be very good. Uh, but it's Luna New Moon, which mm-hmm. is a three oh, yeah, yeah. book series. Um Set on the moon, shockingly, uh, involves five families that control the moon. And it is fantastic. The whole series is. is fantastic. Uh, it's, uh, you know, kind of hyper capitalism in space. Uh, you, you have to pay for the air that you're breathing. There are fabulously wealthy families that are trying to kill each other. There's a mining family that has their, their family city on tracks that's constantly moving across the surface of the moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are people trying to kill each other. There's there's a computer that's predicting the future uh, and and <laughs> werewolves. And, and also, <laughs> oh, yeah, the werewolves. Also werewolves hey. on the moon where it's on always the moon. the moon. The moon is always up. And they're all, they have, they have this thing where they're constantly running at any point. There's always werewolves, like literally running a race around the moon. Around the moon, yeah. It is. There's so many banana pants things in it. Plus, a very interesting story. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, apparently, it was optioned before they came out. I have not heard any yeah uh, news about if it's going to become a show or not. But hopefully. Ian McDonald got some money cashed in. Yeah, a little bit. It's a good uh, trilogy. I love the whole trilogy. 
Yes, uh, me too. We we covered uh, Luna New Moon in episode two ninety one. I like complicated books, Glenn. <laughs> Glenn. <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> I don't even know. It was a long that was time where ago. We had Aurora was the other book, which is a whole other yeah. discussion. Yeah. So I I thought Scott, you were going to swerve and be like, and then he wrote Luna New Moon, and it was yeah. fine too. But I'm going to pick the Dervish House because it came out in 2010, uh, and it's a, that was back when I mean, like <laughs> that was back when he was like, no, I'm writing very serious literary yes. novels that are yeah, yeah. and it, Dervish House is amazing, which Dervish I think House we covered in a fantastic. in maybe episode one or another early episode but mm-hmm. um but you're right like luna new moon is it, I, I love that whole series i thought it's really it's like the godfather or dallas or something in space <laughs> uh, on the moon yes. it's good stuff is yeah. the dervish house the one with the uh, mellified man wonderful i had a, a moment of crisis when it was my turn because i knew i wanted to pick one of those books either yeah. the dervish house or luna new moon but luna new moon and the whole series is just so much fun i mean the dervish house is beautiful and a fantastic yeah, yeah, very book interesting. but but luna new moon um is is just like a great fun ride yeah the dervish house was covered in the same episode as uh as a feed <laughs> zombie marmaduke <laughs> episode oh, 51 oh, i liked the dervish house i like the dervish more. house too fondly. Uh, all right ian mcdonald you are referenced and we appreciate right. your good so, writing also, and you're also your good page turning fun <laughs> cash in writing is actually still see that's the thing is it's a cash good. grab that's also still a really good book Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Also, feed still on the board. You, you <laughs> feed. feed anyone can pick Aurora, feed. Also, Aurora on the board. Feed still mm-hmm. on the board. Dan, what do you choose? All right. Um, less less controversial this time. The first book in a series <gasps> that I love. What? There are not a lot of series where uh, it goes on for a while, and I feel like I still need to pick up pick up every single book as soon as it comes out. Uh, but this is a series where that's the case, and this is Ben Aronovich's Rivers of London series, mm. of the first one, Rivers of London, which is the Peter Grant series yeah. of detective novels that take place in London where there's like a fantastical magic. Uh, basically, magic exists, and you need uh, police officers in the Met who can basically deal with magic-related crimes. Uh, Peter Grant stumbles into this world and basically then becomes the apprentice wizard to uh, the chief inspector Nightingale. Uh, and it's just a fabulous, it's a fabulous melding of the sort of traditional British murder procedural, like, like any number of British murder TV shows you've seen, Inspector Morse or, or what have you. And, and like magical, like fantasy uh, elements, the world keeps getting broader and broader. I love that he's, he's like branched out into all these different uh, places in the world now where things have happened. And this has become like a sort of a transmedia thing too, because he's done comic books, I think based on the series as well. Uh, at some point there was a TV show maybe happening. I really haven't heard anything about that for a long time. Um, but the, the book itself is great. Um, it's just fun. It is a, a fun romp, like page Turner, uh, mystery. I, I love all of those elements of it. Peter is a great character. It's one of those ones that is aware of all the like pop culture because Peter Grant is a nerd and he's really into it. Like there's a whole. <laughs> I remember there's one a later one in the series where like Avatar: The Last Airbender gets name checked a lot because people are like, oh, they're basically Earthbenders. <laughs> um, and so like it's it's got that sort of slightly irreverent streak where it's like super tapped into everything else that's happening in the pop culture landscape. Uh, which is really enjoyable, but yeah, they're they're a ton of fun. 
We covered this in episode 216, our urban fantasy in London Indeed. episode, Maps of London. It was I was having a hard time remembering if I read this because this is one of their, a bunch of yeah. London is a Magical Place books came out. I have not read this one. There's the one, um, who's the Doctor Who writer? Uh, this is, this is Cornell. Well, Ben Arovich. Oh, Ben Arovich is also, also yeah. a Doctor Who writer. Yeah, also, also a Doctor, Doctor Who writer, writer right? Yeah. Different eras, yeah. right? And then there's also the un, was it Undone Lund, uh, the uh, uh, China, China, China Mabel, yeah, Mills book, yeah, which is not, which is yeah. So it's like I'm like I'm reading the plot as you're talking to, and I'm like, wait, did I and, read? No, and, so and, and Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman, which oh, is yeah, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so I got another series to read. It's got hmm. the procedural aspect of it, which okay. is what yeah, really it works. Like each book is a case, but there's also like an underlying plot that's going along. Magic cops. Yeah. Magic cops. Yeah. yeah. Magic cops. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's good. Glenn? Uh man, I got so many good ones. This is where it gets hard to get into rounds. But I'm gonna I'm not gonna um I guess I'll pick the forty second book in the Dune series. It's mm. called uh Chapter Children House Fish Dune, I think. No, all right, that's too obscure. Um let's sorry, I don't know. Uh let's pick uh let me pick uh, Lev Grossman's The Magician's Land, the third book in the oh. series, 2014, oh. Checkmate. Mm. Uh, no, it's, um, I think we talked back when we were talking about Night Circus, there was another book in that episode, which we did not like, which was The Magicians. And, some um, of us liked it, Glenn. Oh, sorry. Some of us liked it. That's right. That was not the title of that episode. Some of us did not. And um, it, uh, yeah, so it was a controversial b- book, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For I was on the didn't like it list. Yeah, yeah. I did, so, I uh, like but it. no, so it had split opinions. Let's put it that way. But so the magicians was interesting, but it seemed to end in kind of a, to me, kind of a dull plop. And uh, there was a second book came out. I missed it. Then Magicians Land. I just randomly picked it up at a library. Thought, gosh, you know, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'll just. I'm looking for something to read. And I was totally captivated by it. Then I went back and read book two, reread book one. I was like, oh, this is really an arc. And our antihero in book one is totally recontextualized by book three. And everything that I disliked is actually worked out. I was like, oh, damn it. I'm so I feel terrible. But so I think the series as a whole works by book three. I think book two is also difficult. But Magician's Land, I feel it can stand alone. It's got some um, great elements in it. great characterizations plot there's a real driving plot that is not exactly an end of our world plot it's um kind of a different sort of thing resolution a lot of characters it may not be so great if you don't want to go back and read the first two or haven't read the first two but uh it made me rethink the whole series and actually enjoy the whole series so it gets uh it gets a mark there because i've reread it actually more than the previous two books in the series I would also mention, of course, this is the source material for one of the very best yeah. sci-fi fantasy TV series of the 2010s, The the Magicians, uh, which, like The Expanse, kind of, and they were paired at one point, they were, they were, they were network mates on the sci-fi oh, really? channel. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. They, th- also a, a case where they took the original material and kind of did a pass and a remix and made it work I think a lot better than the books with some of their narrative choices. So yeah, they got to readdress. There's some problematic things in the first two books, particularly, I think by the third, it's, it's kind of he's kind of worked out where he needs to be. And uh, particularly, I think the third book gives a lot of the female characters their due. And it feels like a payoff that you were, that you didn't know you were waiting for. And the TV series, I think you're right. It's, uh, I mean, we, I was on, gosh, do we do like every series as a, yeah. And I was on most of those and, and um, I think it's a clever, gimmick in the tv series to be kind of like well this is sort of the same universe but 
you know, same people, but I, uh, uh, you know, I great. haven't, uh, I haven't read the magician's land. I read the first two and I haven't read it because really I, good, I, really I'm actually good. sort of saving it up. I think I'm going to go back and read that whole trilogy all together. It's good. It's good as a whole thing. I mean, I'm picking the third book, but it's good yeah. as a whole right. thing you do. Um, okay, boy. Uh, this is tough. There are a lot of great choices out there. Obviously this is the, uh, this is the, the best of the decade, mm. right? Um, I'm going to pick, oh, A Memory Called Empire by Ooh. Arcady Martin. Mm. It's so good. I, I talked about it in great detail in, in uh, one of our uh, shortlist episodes, um, but it is uh, about, it's I think 516 and 525, I talked about it. Um, it. It's the first in a series. There are now two books in the series. Both of the books are very good. Uh, about a, a person who comes from a uh, it's actually like a like a, a space station on the periphery of this giant galactic empire and is a fan of their like culture which is like poetry and stuff and they are basically made the ambassador to the capital city and they're sent to the capital city and it's a book that actually gets wilder as it goes to the point that when late in the book there is some gorilla or uh, what is a meatball in the terms of mesh meatball surgery on somebody's yes. brain <laughs> yeah. and you're like Am I reading the same book that I start? Like, I thought this was going to be more sedate. It is not. It gets weird. Uh, and says has a lot to say about uh, cultural dominance of, of big empires. I, I, I'm surprised that the author isn't like Canadian or something because I keep feeling like the main character is kind of like the equivalent of a Canadian who's like totally dominated by American culture and then is sent to live in America or really anybody in the world I suppose who's grown up on American culture and then is sent to America it is uh, weird and wild and fun and pushes a lot of the same buttons as a book that we haven't mentioned yet which is Ancillary Justice it's a, mm. it's, it's a similar kind of book to that um, loved it a lot uh, it's very rich. All the names of the characters are ridiculous, and that's part of the fun. Like Seven Seagrass, and yeah, like they're all t- ten helicopter. They're all it's it's a thing. <laughs> it's, Thir- it's thirty-five. Crazy. What was it? Thirty-five off-road vehicle or something. Yeah. It's amazing. They're like that guy's so gauche. That name. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. just literally finished the book today. Ah. Your recommendation, that's and I loved it to pieces. Yeah. And I didn't. I'm not. It's on my list because I knew it's a book you, you love, know, so I wasn't going to try to snipe it. it. So every now and then you read a book, and I, I we've talked about probably some of these books today. Um, every now and then you read a book, and you're going through it, and you're like. Oh, this is it. Like this yeah. is this, this is yeah. like why I read books is to discover books that do it for me. Like this book does it. So could yeah. not put it down. Memory Color Empire was one of those. Yeah. I was like, oh I boy, kept, this is it. Nailed kept it. not wanting to be over, and then reading it incredibly fast. But now I've got a second book to read, so it's great. Yeah. All right, moving on to our next set of panelists for round three. It's Aline Sims. What's your choice? I think I have to once again go with one that we've talked about on the incomparable. Good. Um, means we're not missing this stuff season yeah the fifth season by nk jemison yeah (laughs) there it goes (laughs) yep um it is dark it is not a happy uplifting book but i remember the first time i read it and how blown away i was by jemison's writing just her sentences are like poetry. I just I I found myself reading and rereading some of some of them because it was just it was just beautiful. They just fell together 
just so well. And I loved the way that the the narrative was put together. It's basically split into um is it three, yeah, three different um epics um of of a person's life and is telling um this fantastical um story is it science fiction is it fantasy we'll never decide um scholars will forever debate whether mm-hmm. this is a science fiction story <laughs> or a fantasy story but it is really good but it is about the end of the world um and i i don't even know how to describe it anymore because i have waxed poetic about it so much um it's just it's beautiful it's um, it's terrible and it's beautiful and I love it. <laughs> yeah, that was that was also fairly high on my list. And I think it might have been even higher if I if it wasn't for the darkness and how, how much if it I were happy. It. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, it's it's just uh, all the things that Aline said. I mean, and also that's another one that I noticed we talked about twice in episodes 346 yeah. and 301. So it's uh, it's it's well worth checking out. Um, and you know, it, it starts off extra, extra dark um, and gets a little there, there are moments of lightness throughout it. Uh, and I think that watching the characters develop and, you know, character develop into the different characters that we then see mm-hmm. uh, are all the same person is is it's really fascinating to watch, you know, a person change and go through so many different phases of their life and have each one of them be told so beautifully and so heart-wrenchingly um yeah it's great yeah the the whole series is magnificent and it's if i'm not mistaken it's like one of the only trilogies or the only trilogy where all the parts won the best novel of the year at the hugo the hugo yeah. yeah. the only am i right yeah mm-hmm. the only one yeah and uh well deserved my yeah. god yep all right uh, let us move on to Erica. All right. Well, then my next pick is uh, another one that I talked about before on episode 359, which we already mentioned, um, which is Borderline by Michelle Baker, yeah. which is the first book of the Arcadia Project. I I really like urban fantasy. And this was most of the urban fantasy I had read before this book was set in like London, uh, you know, big city. Sure. This this is urban fantasy set in Hollywood, mm-hmm. um, which was, which was a, a totally different flavor to it, uh, which which I thought was was really interesting. Um, but the main character, whose name is Millie, uh, had basically before the events of this book, she had a failed suicide attempt and lost her legs in in that suicide attempt, and she also suffers from borderline personality disorder and is just the most deeply complex, messed up character, uh, point of view character that I have read in a book in a really long time. Um, And I felt like I learned a lot about what it's like to be an amputee and also a person who suffers from BPD by reading this book. And at the same time, I was really fascinated because in this version of Hollywood, it turns out that, that fairyland basically is actually real. Like you can you can cross from our world into the fairy realm and not only that but certain uh, fairies sort of have the ability to 
inspire creativity. Specifically, there's somebody, there's like a perfect match, a soulmate for everyone on the other side. And if you find that person, then wow, will you be absolutely just, you know, as creative as you possibly can be. So it makes sense for this to be set in in Hollywood because you have all kinds of, you know, directors and actors and writers and stuff who in this book, it posits that, that they are so wildly successful because they have their um their their fairy match sort of helping them out um but it's also a murder mystery because you know they find a body somebody got murdered and it's a murder mystery that kind of goes you know between the two sides of you know hollywood and and fairyland and it's there's a lot of twists and turns and it's really really fun so i it's i think of the three the very first one is my favorite i like the rest of them as well but uh, borderline for sure was just a, a fantastic read really really fun yeah, I agree. I love that the the fairy noir is great. It is it is a uh, you know that main character right. She's dealing with so much, um, mm-hmm. and also trying to solve a murder, you know, a mystery. Uh, and the the rest of the series is great because it takes a left turn, and you're like, whoa. Uh, mm-hmm. and and the whole inf- I, I know I said this on a previous podcast, but one of the things I love about the other books in that series is that it interrogates the premise that you accept in the first book and says, wait a second, <laughs> like mm. like. Is this good? Like, is this magic system that I built that you all bought actually ethical? And it's not, friends. So, uh, yeah, it's really it's it's all <laughs> the answer is no. It's all really good, but that first book is especially amazing, and I'm so glad that it's on the list because I I haven't picked mm-hmm. it, and now I don't need to because you did it. <laughs> so <laughs> no, thank you, you thank you for your service to books. <laughs> You're welcome, David. Well, if there's one thing I know about uh, incomparable panelists, it's that. A lot of us like heists. Um, <laughs> I don't think we've taken part in any, but we've watched and read a lot about No comment. Them. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm pleading the fifth. Um, and one of my favorite characters in heist literature is Arsène Lupin from uh, the early part of the 20th century. This is a, a, a series of novels, but the first novel is The Quantum Thief by Hanu Ranjanyami. Oh, yeah. Ranjanyami. Which, it's it's about a character named Jean Le Flambeur, who is basically Lupin in outer space. Um, and in this, it starts out with him imprisoned and playing a version of The Prisoner's Dilemma uh, against multiple copies of himself until he's given the opportunity to win back his freedom and his abilities in exchange for finishing the one heist he didn't get away with. And it's just, it's, it's a really inventive, fun, fun story. Uh, very hard sci-fi, but, uh, you can, you can see the influences of Lupin in there. It's, it's great. And the two sequels are great. Um, it's just a lot of fun. And uh, incidentally, if you haven't seen Lupin on Netflix, watch that. It's also a really great heist story. It's just not science fiction. In episode 117 of The Incomparable, a long time ago, (laughs) Scott specifically recommended that I read this book. And (laughs) according to Amazon, I did buy it. (laughs) (laughs) It's gone on a sale for Kindle regularly oh, I, that's how i got it uh, yeah well um i already have it so now i just have to read it so that's next next stop <laughs> for me thank you david for for trying to push me there the next go. step since uh 
since I, I failed Scott, basically. He'd be so angry if he were on this half of the podcast, but he's not. <laughs> he's already forgotten it by now. It's fine. He'll never know. It's Those fine. episode one guys, they have no idea that this <laughs> happened, and nobody's going to tell them, okay? They don't need to know. They nope. don't. Nope. I... I heard they nothing. certainly don't need to know, but I, I remember that book being recommended <laughs> to me and having it be very much like this is actually it was very similar to the oh uh, uh, Yoon Ha Lee recommendation, which is uh, for those the books, oh, yeah. of which is like um, these are really complicated, <laughs> hard mm-hmm. sci-fi, the um, the calendrical whatever those were called. Is that Yoon Ha Lee? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's the machineries so, yeah. of empire is the name. Machineries of, the, uh, of uh, see, I thought series. you, I thought you said the machine was a vampire, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody tell me about that book. I uh, copy, taking notes right now. Co- dibs, dibs. <laughs> I call dibs. <laughs> I heard Jason say it first. The machine was a vampire. Uh, get to your bookstore and sit down at a table and write that book, and then sell that book to the bookstore. Is that how that works? Uh, and then tweet me and yes. tell me to buy it in the same way where it's like wow it's kind of confusing and you're gonna have to figure it out and it's very weird but also it's great and so uh, i will get to it so thank you david for telling me about that the machine was a vampire you see <laughs> <laughs> all right back around to the top for round four with scott <gasps> i'm on the top again you're on the top I... you're gonna stay on the... that's how drafts Tower work pizza what well, unless it's a snake draft, right? No, no snakes. No snakes. Oh, we don't like that. Why did it have to be a snake draft? Uh, boa constrictor. I choose boa constrictor. Oh, for God. My snake no. draft. Please. Mother McLeese no. snake drafts. So I, I took this as an opportunity to just talk about uh, books from my favorite authors. And another one of my favorite authors is uh, someone I've spoken about on this podcast a number of times and someone whose work I hesitate to recommend to people. Because <laughs> I, I love it. like it, I like it so much. But it is so particular oh, that I feel like it will not work for a lot of people. Okay. Uh, the author's name is K.J. Parker, which uh-huh. is a pseudonym for feeling. Tom uh-huh. Holt. Uh, and the book that I'm going to pick is uh, a book that Jason actually has recently read. Yes. 16 Ways yeah. to Defend a Walled City. On my Ooh, long list. Which is okay. uh, about oh, uh, 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 this character who is uh, writing the story and is the hero, and I'll put heroes in, hero in quotes here, uh, of the story is uh, tasked with defending a walled city. And there are 16 known ways to defend a walled city uh, and they can't use any of them. So he has to figure out <laughs> 17th another way, way yeah. to, to how to defend the city. And like so much of KJ Parker's work, it's it's using kind of, I don't, I, I kind of call it like logistics punk or something like that mm-hmm. because it's all about how <laughs> these huge organizations and geopolitical empires are, are so complicated and complicated machinery and how just one little thing just reverberates and causes lots of trouble. And if you're a certain kind of person, you can identify these these systems and how to 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 break them for your own benefit. Uh, and, and it's just it's fascinating. So and this is I feel like this is a very accessible version of uh, KJ Parker's work, because there's also some of it that's a little more uh revenge focused mm. and so some people mm. may not like that but this one is is kind of you know there's a lot of people that die in this but it's it's a fun book well, it's a lot of people <laughs> die in that uh, I, I was gonna say scott it, it is um 
you know how people talk about like Patrick O'Brien writing these books where it's like part of the joy of it is that is the detail of like how to do sailing on a ship in detail in order to survive your battle on the high seas. It's like and playing I, a flight sim or something. And I feel like I, uh, 16 Ways to Defend a Walled City is like that for logistics, where it's <laughs> like, aha, but you see, if we put the barrels over here, mm-hmm. and, and if you if you get off on that sort of thing, it is oh, amazing. So it is amazing. It's got a almost... Pratchett-esque yeah, element yeah. to it. I was going like, to say it's yeah. not as absurd as no. Pratchett or Douglas is, but Adams is, too, but not as absurd. Yeah, it's so wry. I think is the is the yeah. way to describe it. Right, like it's very like you know it's not really winking, but like there's a whole element of like it realizes how ridiculous some of this is, and yet. <laughs> In that ridiculousness, you recognize everyday life with the, the systems that we have all tried to navigate. Yeah, that are you're always like, why is this like this? Wait, but I found this loophole where I can do this. Um, I can use the system to my advantage. But it's it is great. I really enjoyed this one. I haven't read either of the follow ups, but I really enjoyed this book a lot. Uh, I I love the so protagonist. Uh, the you know the definition of an unreliable narrator, and yet. <laughs> And yet so entertaining. To uh-huh. mm-hmm. I was going to say, it's sort of an unreliable narrator, but it's also sort of like, is it unreliable? Who, who if, can you trust? If they go in sort of telling you that it's kind yeah. of a tall tale, like yeah. it, it's one of those where it's like, we don't really know, but it's a good story. So here it is like, mm-hmm. okay, I know it's made up. It's fine. I don't, I don't mind. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, it's a really good book. I, I did read it uh, last summer, and uh, after Scott recommended it like a hundred previous episodes, <laughs> I finally got to it. Uh, That's so good. Good job, Scott. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. I'm following in Scott's vein here by picking a book by one of my favorite authors, <gasps> uh, and oh. one that I really love, and we one that we've discussed. <laughs> uh, and it is Captain Vore Patrol's Alliance by Lois oh. McMaster, McMaster Bujold. It must be. a book in the extremely long Vorkosigan saga, but one that is, I actually think, uh, as Scott sort of alluded to with his pick, one that is pretty accessible because it deals with a side character from yes. the earlier books, mm-hmm. uh, Ivan Vorpatril, who is kind of the uh, lovable, well-meaning dope uh, to his more brilliant cousin, Miles. Uh, and in this book, he takes center stage as he gets embroiled in an intergalactic plot and handles it with all of his usual Ivan-like aplomb. Uh, and it is just a fat, it's just a great book. It's just so much, so much fun. Uh, it is over the top. I reread this actually during the pandemic because it's like, I needed a, I needed a hug and this book is, a mm. hug. Uh, it is yes. just, it's, it's delightful. Um, it has some of my favorite, uh, moments in this entire series, including several where, where, when I read this book for the first time, made me laugh out loud in uh, just glee at, at moments that happen here. Um, you know, it, it certainly is a book that I- if you've read the rest of the series, you'll get a little bit more out of it, but I think it's a fun sort of romantic adventure sp- spy intrigue politics story on its own too. There's so much packed in here. Uh, and her characterization is always so good in the way that she draws these people. They are incredibly, uh, true to life in, in so many ways. And yet in these fantastic, like over the top situations. So I, I love this book dearly. It's one of my favorite books in this entire series, even though it's kind of like a totally a side adventure. Right. Yeah. And I think of that as one of the late for Kozigan books, but we covered it in episode 117. So how could it be that late? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Most of them have been written before. Yeah. <laughs> before our eligibility period. Here. It's true. It's true. Glenn. All right. I've been holding off, but 
it's also one of my favorite books. So I have to do it. I was going to see if someone else was going to pick it. The Golem and the Genie by <laughs> our good friend, Helene Wecker, an incomparable person. We discussed it in episode 196. And before, then she talked about before we knew her, before, before we, knew we knew her. her mm-hmm. And somehow um, she still likes us. And uh, she's uh, you and she also talked about her sequel to the book in 569. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I am very proud of being able to get her on the Zardos episode, episode 250. Yeah. Uh, so Golem and the Genie. She is, went uh, with you to the second level. She, strangely to the second enough. level. It's amazing. <laughs> Uh, Golem and the Genie is, um, you know, it feels like a really personal book, even though it's a fantasy novel. Um, it's uh, like so many of these books. It's got a something um, unique about it. I don't, you know, you don't feel like I picked up a book quite like it. And she takes all these strands of mythology uh, and uh, immigration and hostility to immigrants and um, sort of good and evil and the nature of the soul and Dest- you know what your fate is and how you make it and um you know great early 20th century new york uh politics and <laughs> sort of post or i guess pre gilded age or post gilded age anyway um and it's just a a great novel about a golem and a genie um and uh how they uh find each other and uh the people they meet along the way and it's you know got some incredibly serious elements to it there's real stakes it feels like and it's just a great a great read and we were all dying for the sequel and, and life intervened as she discussed is on episode five sixty nine, and now the sequel is out too. So if you like yeah. the first one, you can easily pick up a second, which is a very different uh, novel in a lot of ways, but is a, it's, it is really a sequel. It's also, I mean, in some ways, plot wise, it's a direct continuation. Like it's not like a let's, let's reset the stage. It's like, here's yeah, what happened yeah. next uh, yeah. with some, yeah. with some new characters and some existing characters. Here's how you become a friend of an author. Everybody <laughs> is you, you, you praise their book on a podcast that they hear, um, not knowing who they are. <laughs> and then they write to you and say, Hey, I wrote that book that you liked. I'm so glad I was really worried <laughs> there for a minute. And then, uh, you know, that's how we became friends with Helene, which is great. That's but, great. but She's we, terrific. we, we liked that book before we knew her. It's a great book. It is. It is a great book. Helene is a great person and it is so great that, um, I mean, I read the novel first and was really blown away by it. You know, my family, it comes, it's not, we're not like lower uh, east side, but we, my family came into this country. It's this, everything. It felt very familiar. We didn't bring a golem, but besides that, you <laughs> I know. love, I love the power of science fiction and fantasy to use metaphors to talk about reality and the yeah. idea that you're taking the diaspora of the late 19th, early 20th century into Manhattan, where they, there is the uh, the Syrian diaspora and the Jewish mm-hmm. diaspora happening simultaneously and saying, well, what if they're the, the uh, what if the like kind of American gods like in that way where it's like they bring mm. their 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 fantasy creatures and their gods with them. And so it's like, what if there were actually was a golem and a genie brought to lower Manhattan and they are immigrants too but they're also magical beings it's like that's such a good good job helene such a good idea <laughs> yeah i was like there's always this question i have is like what if you have an actual being that has sort of unlimited power and you know we, we almost never get to see that in books because if they did they just sort of if they're bad they destroy everything if they're good it's boring right so most conflict that involves beings with unimaginable power they have to have constraints on them and she kind of you know she sort of took that and worked that in i think an unusual way by using those mythological creatures all right, I'm going to get uh, timely here, Ooh. Oh. And, and yet I'm also going to be referring to uh, a, a, a book that we covered a long time ago. Mm. How how, mm. how can I manage to do that? Well, it is from episode 231, Eat, Pray, Love, Die, Survive. 
<laughs> which was all about the end of the world. And we talked uh, about Station Eleven by Emily St. John mm, Mandel, which is now uh, an HBO Max miniseries that people are raving about because I love it. It's really good. Um, and we were kind of split, or at least there was some frustration about this book. Uh, mm. And what I remember most about uh, about Station Eleven is the tension between telling a story that's beautiful and optimistic and, and, and generates the kind of feeling that you're trying to get as an author and the, um, critique of like, is this exactly, is this actually what would happen in an apocalypse? And I will tell you station 11 is not exactly what would happen in an apocalypse. It's not, there are lots of it where you're like, come on, they wouldn't do that. That wouldn't work. But the fact is, you just got to not think of it that way. And you got to think of it as a beautiful kind of parable. It is about the end of the world, but it's also about the human spirit being undeterred during the end of the world and the beauty of art and performance and things that make us, um, make us special as, as creatures to go beyond just sort of the day to day of survival and strive to do other things. And that's what station 11 is really about. It's got a twisty turning plot that the TV series has kind of followed on where there's different timelines and different characters going in different places. And there's an airport and there's a, there's a traveling, uh, group of Shakespearean uh, performers and, and uh, yes, there is a global pandemic that kills almost everybody, but it's not really too much about <laughs> a, that. A global what? Never heard. Uh, and it's, it's, it really is a good book. And I went back and I thought, I remember liking this. Let's see what I, what, what I gave it on Goodreads. And the answer is friends, five stars is what I did ooh, because ooh, I, I was oh. right. I did, I did really like it. And, uh, the, I've been reminded of it by the HBO max miniseries, which I do think is a masterful piece of work, but the book is good too. Just don't go in it thinking this is going to be one of these like explorations of what it would be really, really like post the apocalypse. Cause that's not what it's about. And I remember actually from that episode, Scott saying those very words, which is like, you got to let that part go because it's really just a beautiful book. <laughs> yes, I, I was so surprised during that conversation because I, that book is so good and so well written and such a beautiful story. And then I have a clear memory of people being like, but the jet fuel at the airport wouldn't work anymore. And I was like, what? <laughs> Does it matter? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. Is there a YouTube video about plot holes in this? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's an IMDB goof, people. Uh, Isn't Langoliers but, about jet fuel and, at airports not working? And, and or you something? know what? I but I, I think I recall from that episode, it was a long time ago now. Scott and I both basically like admitting, like, yes, yes. There are things in here that don't make sense if you're actually trying to say what would happen in an apocalypse. Mm -hmm. But it's not the point of the book, which is beautiful. Yes. And there are books that are all about yeah. what tried to weave a, a realistic tale about what happens uh, after an apocalypse and, and Station Eleven. If that's what you're looking for, don't read it. Don't read Station Eleven. <laughs> it's my recommendation to you. Anger you. <laughs> if, but if you would like a beautiful book about like the human spirit and uh, in, in the darkest of times, uh, I think actually maybe that's a book you should pick up now. Yeah. Uh, so. Although a lot of people die in Toronto at the beginning, but then it's okay after that. Jason, what if I want a book about how many potatoes they need to grow on Mars, though? That's what I want to know. Well, oh. I, I don't know. We'll Still find out. Board. <laughs> Still on the board. Okay, Aline Sims, it's back around to you. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Um, already picked a lot of books. There's a lot of books already on the table there. It's a big table. <laughs> Full books. It's a big table, and there's so many good books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I think 
One that I do not believe we have talked about on the Incomparable. <gasps> I know. <laughs> um, Strange Practice by Vivian Shaw. Um, an urban fantasy. Hey, hey. Set in London. Hey, hey. Um, <laughs> Taking it, notes. Um, so this is the first of a series about uh, Dr. Greta Helsing, who has inherited her family's medical practice. Um, she treats the supernatural creatures of London um, for medical problems. Uh, banshees get vocal strain. Um <gasps> Sure. Mummies already. Yeah, mummies start falling apart. Um, vampires, I don't know, have vampire ailments. They get uh, anemic. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, even even machine. Vampires. Well, they, the machine vampires need the uh, the WD forty or whatever. You know, it stands for That's vampire disease. Of, Look, it's 600 yeah. episodes. They can't all be gems, folks. Okay. <laughs> um, and and then murders start happening. Um, you know, as as happens, and um, and the murderers come after Doctor Helsing, and she's got to figure out what's going on. Um, so I rated the first book of the series and the third book of the series, five stars. And I think the second book, four stars, I really enjoyed the series as a whole. Um, so I highly, highly recommend strange practice by, uh, Vivian Shaw. It's not a book I've read, but now it's on my list. And And it's on this list. It's also an audiobook that I enjoyed. Um, nice. Good narrator. All right, Erica. All right, I am. Uh, I'm. I'm keeping to the uh, the feel good books for me here, and uh, this is. I've chosen the first book in a series, and it's like I love the whole series, and I'm not, honestly not sure if there's one particular book that stands out from the rest. I just sort of think of the whole thing all together. So I'm picking the first book as a representative uh, thing and a place to start if you are interested in the kind of fantasy, fun fantasy novels that I am. And this is called Libriomancer, and it is by Jim C. Hines. And it is a a fantasy world. Uh, the main character is named Isaac, and he is a Libriomancer. Um, so he's uh, he's part of this secret organization of uh, basically magicians that was founded by uh, Johannes Gutenberg. Of course, and um, of course, Gutenberg yep. again. What is he up to now? <laughs> well, five hundred years ago, he founded this uh, this order of Libriomancers who have the ability to magically reach into a book. So, like, open a book physically reach in through the pages and draw f- draw out any object that's in that book. So while it's it's definitely a fantasy book, but you get little pieces of science fiction because say he needs a ray gun at some point, he ah. opens a science fiction book and he pulls out a ray gun. Um, 
And uh, Isaac, uh, who is also he's a librarian, so super extra cool to start with. Uh, and he's uh, he's attacked by vampires that have uh, sort of leaked out from the pages of books into our world. Um, and he, he, he barely escapes and discovers then that vampires have also been attacking some of the other magic users uh, as, as well. He is he's his library is in like, I think it's the upper peninsula of Michigan. So not even just Michigan, but like the UP. Uh, so he has to reach out and find out that, oh, people, other places are, are being attacked as well. And Gutenberg has been kidnapped. That's not good. Um, so he, he needs some help. So he gets some help from his uh, his best pal. And she's amazing. She uh, She's a, a dryad who, uh, she exists because somebody pulled the dryad seed out of a uh, out of a book and then grew it because you know you can't really pull a person through a book unless it's really really oversized um and uh and yeah she uh has a pair of oak cudgels that she beats the crap out of people with uh and she rides a motorcycle and she's super tough and i love her to death um and yeah and they have to go basically on this quest to figure out why um why magic users are being attacked how you know why vampires are being manipulated to make this happen um and in the course of this even just in the very first book he starts to uncover some dangerous secrets about libriomancy itself Uh, so kind of thinking about you know borderline and like oh this cool magical system and then later on you're like oh maybe it's not so cool um there's sort of a similar uh, there's there's a dark history to it that is uh pretty fascinating and i just I'm always interested in uh, a different take on how magic works in fantasy books. And because I'm such a book nerd, the idea of being able to open any book and reach into it and take out any object that's smaller than, you know, like the pages of the book is such a neat idea. Um, And and it just just tickles me to death. And and later on, they, you know, look into the, uh, you know, the ideas of uh, oversized books and e-readers and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But like for for Isaac in this book, he wears a uh, a big trench coat that has like 60 pockets in it so that he can put paperbacks of all different things. So whatever mission he's going on, he goes through the library and he picks out the books that have the implements that he thinks he's going to need in order to stay alive through whatever he's going to do. And just like, you know, the imagination run, runs wild and it absolutely does in these books. So the uh, Libriomancer, which is book one of the Magic X Libris series by Jim C. Hines. All right. You you just dropped in there that something happened to Gutenberg. And I'm like, well, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't even, I, like, Gutenberg's, like, from the past, though. So, did, was he in a book? Did yeah. they pull him out? Of, was he put himself in his own book? That would be, well. He's just, just really, really old. You just have to. I mean, he built his own press. Of course he made a book he could come out <laughs> you of. You just have to read, um, you mm-hmm. know, read the series to, to find out. Yep. All right. Thank you. David, it's your turn. Okay, I don't I don't know if any of you know this about me. Um I like this this show. You might have heard of it. It's called Doctor Who. <laughs> Never heard of it. No, nope. Never heard of it. See? Whatever. See? <laughs> I'm introducing people to this show. And um from you know many years they they did novelizations of the episodes uh, published by Target Books and recently they started doing that again, which is lovely. And so a couple of years ago I bought the novelization of maybe still my favorite episode of all, The Day of the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Stephen Moffat wrote the book, and the novelizations pretty much follow the stories. They, you know, they don't they don't do a lot. This book is nuts because it's 
it's as I mean, it's as if he's doing Douglas Adams just for kicks and he does fake Douglas Adams pretty well. So you're getting the same story, but you're getting different angles on things. You're getting more detail on certain things. You're uh, getting as, as if this is written by the doctor or the curator. Uh, sometimes you have to figure out which doctor is writing the chapter. The chapters are numbered out of order. Um, it follows a slightly different linear path than the episode. It's just a lot of fun. And so, yeah, if, if you've just seen the episode, check out the book. It'll be a lot of fun. If you haven't just seen the episode, it'll make you want to go back and watch it and go, all right, what did he change? What did he do? What did he add to? Uh, there's a lot more detail on the 10th doctor's romance and marriage to queen elizabeth for instance um it's it's a lot of fun so if you love that episode it is well worth picking this up uh it came out in 2018 mm -hmm. so a few years later but uh whenever whenever the man found the time to write a novel what the hell yeah i believe the 13th doctor even appears at the very end spoilers i guess yes. but it's a book but it's, yes. it's one of those things where he he decided to uh since he knows more of the history by the time he wrote wrote the novel than when he wrote the script he he dropped some extra stuff in there too it's a lot of fun also uh they had to make the font size much smaller than all the other books in this series and expand the margins <laughs> because yeah. they had a page limit for this series and he basically mm -hmm. blew right past it because he was so full of ideas that he had it's probably like literally every idea he had in his notebook for the 50th that he just kind of like stuck in here because where else was he going to do it yeah and it, i mean it is kind of the ultimate moffat story in the end because he does everything that he does well he's got in this book and it and also because he's telling some things first person as the doctor um it's it's kind of the most you get to know the doctor outside of like heaven sent mm. right it's it is a, a a really intense focus on the doctors as they're as they're writing and it's a lot of fun trying to figure out which doctor is which it's just oh it's fun and and the ending is is actually a little more satisfying the big climactic i well i don't want to spoil anything but the big climactic right. thing there's there's is much, no budget on, much more in, detailed in your imagination <laughs> when you're reading a book exactly <laughs> it's true exactly thank god so i don't know if that counts as another episodic book but you know <laughs> i mean it's a book that's an episode <laughs> of. of something else it's a book that's, that's right. literally an episode <laughs> right. yeah <laughs> All right, last time around, Scott. Still, you're still at the top. Nope. This is our last round, our fifth round of the uh, 2010 reading list draft. Uh, one last choice for you, please. All right. Well, this is the the tough one where mm. I have three contenders. Oh yes. Uh, and I'm not sure what I should go with. I think I will go with New York 2140, which is by Kim Stanley Robinson. KSR. Mm. Uh, KSR, who has uh, received mixed reviews uh, in The Incomparable. We've covered mm -hmm. many of his books because they are often nominated for awards. Uh, because I think that one thing we can all agree on is that he is an ambitious writer. Yes. And he yeah, may absolutely. not succeed 100% of the time, but he is trying 100% of the time. Uh, and I also think that he is a very talented writer. And so when he succeeds... He he kind of hits it out of the park, uh, especially for me. And New York 2140 is about New York in the year 2140. Wow. wow. 
Yeah, really takes a left turn it there. Is, <laughs> it is shocking, it. I know. Uh, and, and of course, the, there have been ravages of climate change, and New York is kind of like a a Venice now. Right. And People are uh, like taking their boats up the various parts of the, the, the avenues and fun. Exactly. And they've like, you know, coated the buildings in like diamond because, you know, it's New York. It's still valuable real estate. Yes. You're not going to move. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's a very complicated, huge sprawling novel that covers a lot of ground as is often uh, the case with uh, Kim Stanley Robinson, and uh, I just enjoyed it. I am uh, I'm from New York, so I just like the idea that New Yorkers are just not gonna move. They're yeah. gonna, you know, just deal with it, and it's mm-hmm. still gonna be one of the most important cities in the world, whether you like it or not. Uh, and and there are lots of problems with New York, and they are exacerbated in this, you know, given this setting. Uh, and I I feel like. It is a believable extrapolation of what 2140 may look like based on, you know, what we knew in 2018. Mm -hmm. Uh, It may have been optimistic now than what we know of in uh, 2022, but we'll we'll see. I liked it a lot, too. And memorable, there are some scenes out on the water of the avenues and the people who are, like, digging down to find treasure in the the canals and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Like, there's a lot of... Uh, I'm, I'm mixed on Kim Stanley Robinson. Some of his books I like more than others, but this one I really liked a lot. So great choice. Thank you. Dan. Yeah. Similar problem to Scott where it's trying to figure out which of these things I'm going to pick. And I think I'm going to end up picking once again, a, a later book in a series <laughs> because it's my favorite book in the series. Uh, even though I feel like all these books are great, it is City of Miracles by Robert Jackson yeah, Bennett. Yeah, oh, it was on my list. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I knew, and I yeah, I thought it might get get out there. Uh, the Divine Cities trilogy, which is this really great. Oh gosh, I don't even know how to explain it. It is a somewhat m- m- fantastic story uh, about a world where the gods have basically been killed. Uh, and what exactly happens when when the magic that was used, you know, like mm. essentially stems from the gods and was used to power certain things stops working? Uh, the trilogy is weird because it follows three different characters, all of whom are introduced in the first book. Yeah. Um, but they are different protagonists for each one. And the third one focuses on the character of Sigrid, who is one of my favorite characters. So good. Uh, and it's, I just, I have to say, it's one of those weird things where it's like, I I love this book and have such fond memories of the book. If you ask me to explain what happened in this book, it's been a long time since I read it and I can't, but I remember there's like a wild scene on a train. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's actually just, kind of like a tram, like a ski tram. Yeah, a tram that is like over is sort of a tram. tram. I, yeah. I just read this whole trilogy um, on your recommendation. I loved it. It does... You know what? There are those ones where you're like, well, you know, the third book is really the best one. You're like, oh, but you got to slog through two books. No, 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 no. The no, first no. book's good. The first book's second great. Book's the better. second book's great <laughs> and better, and the third book is even better. Yeah. It just keeps accelerating, but they're all really good. I, and yeah, yeah. I, I did not understand that. I, yeah, it's the exact same thing. As I read this, I was like, kept being surprised with each subsequent book, being like, how does this series keep improving? <laughs> yeah. It didn't start bad. No. Like, uh, and and you know, otherwise I would have stopped after the first one. But yeah, the the both the second and third books in the series are, are well worth your time. This entire trilogy is fantastic. So but it's the third one that just really, I just remember loving it. I just remember really enjoying it. Couldn't put it down uh, and was just delighted with the whole thing. 
Yeah, it's it's like urban fantasy-ish, but it's also got this whole layer of there was an empire that was powered Second by the gods. World fantasy, they and then, call some Yeah, and then another group of people who overthrow the empire by killing their gods, so now they're in charge, but they're they're kind of like over the people they're they're oppressing the people who used to be their oppressors and there's leftover god magic everywhere and it's like it's just yeah it's such a rich setting and all three books are very very good i had i had one of my last sort of three options here for this last round was city of stairs the first book in the series it's it's a great series everybody should read it Mm -hmm. glenn what do you have it's sort of hilarious, but I wasn't going to pick that. I have not read that series. Now I'm looking forward to putting it on my list. You should. I'm picking another series that involves uh, the first book of another series that involves overthrown gods and what do you do and magic is et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Kind of hilariously, The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms by N.K. Jemisin has oh. won a million billion awards. But this was back earlier in her career when she was merely brilliant and less well-known. Um, and it's an incredible, I mean, the three there's the three novels. So I'll pick hundred thousand kingdoms officially, which came out in 2010. I was worried it came out before February, then. 2010, just yeah! inside the window. <laughs> and it's a uh, boy. I think back to this and some of the other novels in the series again and again, because she creates this incredibly richly realized world that makes you, it feels like Tolkien, <clears throat> like Lord of the Rings world, except that um, Middle Earth is kind of all based on, you know, Norse myth and England. She's just pulling from this all from like her mind and fresh air. And she develops an incredible iconography that just feels real. And it's sort of a tripite, tri- tripartite God universe in which different of these three major gods have different aspects. And what happens when sort of two of them gang up on one and kind of overthrow them for strange reasons and, you know, and then one becomes predominant. Anyway, the whole thing is um, it's uh, I don't know. It's a beautiful bit of writing in which the gods have a place in the order of things, but their fallibility is what has to be explored and you take mm-hmm. a very, very low ranking person as is, you know, common. A lot of these kind of buildings, rung bonds or these, um, these stories in which somebody really mean has to be raised on high, whatever, but it still, it still feels unique and fresh that somebody who seems like they're brought in as fresh meat and there's an inevitable outcome, like a little, you know, like Harry Potter or some of these other mm-hmm. books. Right. And then again, subverts your expectations at every point. And some of the people who feel, uh, the worst turn out not to be, and people who are very dark have lots of redeeming attributes. And the person or the God that you think is maybe the worst, that the person who caused this whole situation, you understand how broken they are, yeah. but their brokenness is problematic because the entire universe is built around them. And if they, something goes wrong with them, the whole universe collapses. So <laughs> anyway, it's pretty, a lot, a lot of stakes there, but there's the three novels and she's written, you know, there's some short stories and there's some novellas and things too. And it's just uh, really, really magnificent. This was my introduction to N.K. Jemison was this book and, mm-hmm. and uh, I was not disappointed and definitely it's hard to read that book and not come away saying, oh, this person is going to be a successful writer. <laughs> was like, she's really good at her job. Yeah. Put it in my veins. It took, yeah. And yeah. now she's won, you know, she's won everything and she deserves sure. it. So there we go. But, but it started in February of 2010 with 100,000 <laughs> kingdoms. Just inside it. All right. I'm going to make my last pick a book that you shouldn't read. Oh. Don't oh. read this book. It's dense. It's a bold move. It's. <laughs> It, it, it's going to make you angry. It's real long. Ooh, I keep ooh. thinking of it as a thousand page book. It's only 700 pages long. It's super dense and super literary. It's got multiple storylines. It will frustrate you at every turn. And you know what? I still love it. And I'm still thinking about it a year later after I read it. 
and uh and and so don't read it don't read <laughs> gnomon by nick harkaway oh. don't read it because you probably won't like it but if you do like it you might think it was one of the best novels of the 2010s because i do it's nice. about it's about surveillance state and using computer technology to watch what everybody does and using artificial intelligence to try and map what uh what people's behavior is going to be it at its center there is a there is a mysterious death of somebody in custody who is a dissident the uh the person is being investigate who's tasked with the investigator so it's sort of that you know detective story but uh, not and then at many points during the investigation of the crime the book just drops in chapters of i'm not kidding literally completely other books with completely unrelated question mark characters and you th- <laughs> and you go for like 50 100 pages and you're like what am i reading and then the next chapter comes in your back with the story that you were before and you and you start to kind of like piece together in your mind are how are these connected and they are in very strange ways and it leads to a climax after 700 pages that is frustrating and yet also kind of brilliant and i don't know don't read gnomon by (laughs) nick harkway uh, unless you're intrigued by it and you might love it but i'm just saying if you don't don't blame me i told you not to read it i mean it wasn't eligible, Jason, but the Gone Away World, which was from 2009, right. uh, is one of my favorite books of all time. So, And I like a lot. Of, you know, I briefly had Tiger Man by him on my possible list, although I think it's one of his weakest. Um, but yeah, I, Noman, I was a book, unfortunately, I only got like 50 pages into, and then it was right around the time, yeah. of the little before the pandemic or something, and I just, I couldn't. Couldn't start reading it at the time. Did oh. not work for me. So I, I still have a copy of oh. it. And I'm, I'm bound to get back to it because I liked almost all of his previous oh. work. Don't read it, Dan. It's, it's I not, probably will. Don't don't it. don't read it. It's 700. But I, I mean, but the thing is, yeah, you, you just after a while, it's almost like it's you against the book. And I kind of loved it. <laughs> I, I kind of loved that it. it was like, oh, oh, we're back to these chapters. Are we right. book? Mm-hmm. Uh, I could take it. Give me your worst. Wow. I'm going to survive wow. this. And not in a not in a bad way, in more of a, like a mystifying, like the book is <laughs> testing me, but I will be victorious. This sounds just Ooh. like it's your Moby Dick, Moby Dick book. It, like it, it's it, like what Moby Dick does to everybody. It is. It is, it is a little bit like that. But I, I, along the way, I think while being very literary and wanting to frustrate the reader at various points, it is uh, Nick Harkaway also trying to say something very serious about mm. the future of freedom of thought and freedom Mm. of behavior in a world dominated by um, not just cameras, but by machine learning models that eliminate all possibility that you will behave out of uh, in an apparent way and all. And it is about that. It is in some ways a 1984-esque story about the 21st century. Um, Yeah. Don't read it, anybody. Don't. Nope. You convinced me. I'm going to. Don't do it. You can't stop me. I just bought it. <laughs> <laughs> that's Sounds fine. Like you can buy it. Dan bought it a long time ago, and he hasn't. Oh, that's true. true. Yeah, there you go. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a lot of good reverse yeah. psychology going on here. Aline, you have a last pick now. What is it? Okay. So I think I'm going to go with another one we have not talked about on The Incomparable. Okay. That's fine. Um, we're shirking. And... You're saying we're shirking our duties. I get it. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> Shade. Um, only in... 
researching for this episode did I find out that it is the first of a series. So I get to do some reading. But this Mm. is the thing I was talking about earlier with science fiction books. Like everything is a series. Um, This this is uh, Hollow Kingdom by Kira Jane Buxton. And um, I will fully admit that part of this delighted me because it takes place in Seattle. And um, so I was, as as the narrator was talking about wandering, well, flying over the streets of Seattle, um, I was like, I know where you are. And I, I mean, that was that was cool. Um, and there's like this really spooky reveal at one point. Um, and leading up to it, I was like, I know exactly where they are. And this is going to be really cool. And I don't I like I don't want to reveal it in case people read the book, but it, 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 it was fun. So what makes this book fun is not that it is a book that takes place during the zombie apocalypse, because it does, which, you know, not super great to read during a pandemic, which I did. But it is that the book is narrated by a crow um, who was befriended by um, a guy who turns into a zombie. Um, Seattle has a bunch of crows. <laughs> And there we do. We have a lot of crows here. And um, if you don't know a lot about crows, you can befriend them if you give them shiny things. Um, crows are very, very smart. Um, and if you feed them and give them shiny things, um, they will become your friends. And if you're mean to them, they will become your enemies. So this person kind of adopted mm-hmm. this crow. And is that how smart people work? Is that how smartness works? That if you give them shiny <laughs> things, they they I like they're your friend. If you it give works me, for me shiny things, it works for me. <laughs> All right, I stand corrected. I'm just saying. Um, I don't know that that's a, cor- a, a a cornerstone of all friendships, but doesn't necessarily doesn't hurt. hurt. Um, so yeah, it, and it goes through like this. It, so it's first person narrative. This crow figuring out that it's. The mofos, as he calls humans, um, <laughs> have, are acting kind of weird. And his mofo is uh, is definitely among those who are not acting right. And it's kind of the early days, and he's trying to trying to get his person to 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 eat and and feel better and take care of the dog and you know like all this stuff um and then it kind of goes through you know figuring out that that's not going to happen and how does a semi-tame crow make it in a world where um people are not going to take care of him anymore um so it's not like the happiest thing but it is definitely like this there's a, a big fantasy element to it. Um, it is sad. Like there are definitely sad parts um, beyond <laughs> beyond zombie apocalypse. Um, but it was funny. I was I laughed a lot. Um, it was really well written. I thought the premise was. A lot of fun. I thought the perspective was a lot of fun, and um, it just delighted me to to know enough about a city that 
I haven't really been able to explore a whole lot to get references that aren't necessarily like touristy references. So, I mean, that was fun for me. Um, I'll just throw in that not eligible for this draft because it came out in 2009 is another Seattle zombie apocalypse novel that includes things that are in the air, but they're zeppelins and not crows. And that's Bone Shaker by Sherry Priest. So I'll just, I can't pick it. But uh, if you're feeling like you want to read more apocalyptic <laughs> Seattle, there's more. There's a lot of it out there. Funny about that. Hmm. We're good in, apoc- in, a, I, in an apocalypse. I guess so. Erica, what's your last choice? Oh, this is so hard because there's so many good books left. Uh-huh. Uh, I am going to go with a book that uh, spans sort of a lot of different genres. So I can talk about a lot of things at once. Um, it is a murder mystery. It is a ghost story. It is a it is a romance. Um, it's it's got a lot of things uh, all all together. Uh, it's called Delia's Shadow by Jamie Lee Moyer, and uh, Delia is uh, this. So this takes place at just after the turn of the century in San Francisco. So it's like um, after the great uh, earthquake in 1906, um, she became haunted by like so many dead people because she can see dead people. That's that's her thing. She sees ghosts. And uh, so because there's so many dead people, she ends up leaving and going to New York to kind of get away from it. But uh, so at the, at the very beginning of the story, she's on her way back from New York to San Francisco because there's one particular ghost that has got really, really active and is like, no, 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 you, you, you need to go back. Um, and uh, and yeah, so she goes back to San Francisco to try to figure out why this spirit is so different from all of the West, the rest and why she you know what's the deal basically um it's not it it doesn't take very long before she realizes a connection between this uh shadow that's what she refers to the this particular spirit as and a serial killer who is uh running around san francisco killing a whole bunch of people so she and her best friend uh find a medium and the medium uh whose name is dora is just a really colorful and delightful character and uh she she helps delia understand kind of what is going on they they piece together Together, little bits of of her shadow's life and her death, because turns out killed by the uh, the serial killer, and then it kind of also turns into a detective story because her best friend's uh, fiance is a detective and his partner, uh, and so they are investigating these murders. The partner, of course, starts to fall in love with Delia, so it's a romance story as well. Uh, I just really, really enjoyed it. Um, generally, alternative historical fiction doesn't really do it for me but this this is the kind of alt history where like it doesn't actually change anything in history it's just like this one person in history happened to be able to see ghosts uh so it doesn't it doesn't fall into the actual alt history category that makes me i don't know not not like it for for whatever reason so it has sort of a a period piece uh piece to it as well which which i enjoyed and uh, and I really wish somebody would make a TV series out of this because I think the costumes would be amazing and the special effects would be good, too. So, yeah, Dealey's Shadow. All right, David, you have the last selection in the draft. What is it? Oh, man. This probably won't surprise anybody. This is the kind of book I would pick. Um, I know Lisa Schmeiser is also a fan of this author. Um because we've talked about that before. And speaking of San Francisco and period pieces and supernatural, 
things. This is a book by Christopher Moore um, called Noir. It is basically, if if you took a Dashiell Hammett story and tone and you kind of put a little Damon Runyon in there with a little bit of the X-Files and a little bit of the Looney Tunes, that's Christopher Moore. It is a knockdown dragout farce involving uh, a bartender in San Francisco, a flying saucer that crash lands in a place called Roswell, uh, and a woman whose nickname is The Cheese that he is deeply in love with because her last name is Stilton. And it's just nuts. You know, it, it plays out, it starts out like a straightforward noir kind of novel, and it just gets weirder and weirder as it goes along. And uh, there is a second novel set in that universe coming out in May uh, that looks like it's going to get a little Lovecraftian and and maybe a little bit kind of like Shang-Chi, of all things. Um, it It's just, if you like Christopher Moore, you will like this book. And if you've never read Christopher Moore, this is a good introduction to him. All right, and with that, we've made a list of thirty-five books from a from a decade, and uh, wow. that's pretty good, I think. Elaine wow. Sims, thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy you have so much reading to do. Erica Ensign, thank you. Thank you. I'm yeah, I'm excited to read uh, at least one of those books that Elaine just talked right, about. Nice. Thanks, Elaine. You're welcome. <laughs> and David J. Laura, thank you. Thank you. I I've got at least five books that I know that I haven't read. Mm-hmm. Put them on so, the list. Uh, I'm looking forward to those. All right. And I would like to thank episode one for being here as well. (laughs) Scott McNulty, thank you for being back on episode 600. Well, it is my pleasure. I also had some books that aren't science fiction and fantasy, but I left them off because I I, I don't want to anger Jason. I I appreciate it. Um, You can tweet them or something. I don't know. (laughs) I'll I'll write them down and put them them on your blog. Put them on your blog. That's why you got a blog. Dan Morin, thank you. I can't believe we've done 600 of these, Jason. Uh, Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Feels, what, like more? Just five, <laughs> feels like 500. Don't listen to the incomparable <laughs> oh, anybody. Just don't. Just there's don't too much. So too many. Much. Not as many pages as are in Nomon, but close. Yeah. yeah getting there. <laughs> Glenn Fleischman, thank you. Really, thank you, and I really appreciate the long con. I had no idea we were the re- <laughs> the rejoined first episode group. It just happened magically, Incredible. but the, everything kind of came together, and episode Beautiful. one came and collided with just episode magic. 600. Incredible. And thank you, really, sincerely, to everybody out there who is listening to this podcast after 600 episodes. We appreciate it. We hope we have generated an enormous list of books. Uh, you don't have to read them all. I mean, you can. Except for Nomon, don't read it. Uh, but you can uh, read the ones that most intrigue you. I hope we've given you some uh, new things to load on your Kindle or check out from your library or put on your library holds list or however you want to handle it. Some more great books from the t- decade just gone by, the 2010s. And uh, we keep reading books. So uh, onward into more books from the 2020s in the future. Uh, but until then, we will see you next week. <laughs>